When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this week's Defense with DC, we're going to talk about wide stacks and split manipulation, drop eight, and defending option from a basic 4-4-1 high structure. And joining me as he does every week, defensive coordinator from the Michigan Panthers, Dan Carroll. Dan, another great week of football and certainly a lot of things to learn from. Yeah, it was awesome. It was great to you know, can't sit down and watch watch some of these games. It was an incredible weekend, especially in the college game. And um, like you said, a ton to learn from. So we're going to start off with split manipulation and some things to be aware of, both from what the offense is trying to do, but what you need to do to take some things away from them. And I know a game you focused on and, and saw a bunch of this in was UT and Alabama. Yeah, first of all, what an incredible game. I mean, you you get a chance to sit and watch a game like that, and it just reminds you of, of all the great things that college football has, two, two great players at quarterback and, and you know, well-coached teams and, and a great rivalry. So it was awesome. I hope everybody got a chance to watch it, and if you didn't, you should go back and check it out because it really was a great experience for a college football fan or coach. So Tennessee, you know, there's some semblances in their offense of like the Baylor offense from, yes. from the Mark Brown era um you know I, I had a chance to work with Kendall in 2018 at the University of Houston so a, a little bit of familiarity with kind of some of the things they do and, and they pre- present a million problems obviously and that's why they've had success basically everywhere they've been and anybody that runs it generally has some success with it but I thought their wide stack the wide stack that they use and the routes they had coming out of them I think that from a defensive perspective when you're playing stacks you generally, if you have a normal split stack, if you're going to play like what I would say, like lock and level or a one call, maybe some people call it that, where whoever's got the point of the stack has the front player. And then the, the back DB has the back player, right? You really need to use the, the split and understand the split of that stack to, to know kind of where your alignment should be. If it's a normal stack or normal split for the stack, Obviously, the back player has got to be able to play the release of the back offensive player to either side, outside or inside. But, you know, Tennessee was maxing those out, which in some ways can help you out if you understand that the, that guy is going to release inside. So, so a lot of their big plays came from just maxing out a stack, the number one receiver taking off either outside or an outside release vertical, and the backside guy running a glance or a post kind of splitting the defense and I didn't feel like that you know Alabama got great leverage from their deep DB in in defending those when you know you kind of should know at that point once they're max splitted that they're probably not going to release both of them outside so I thought that was good stack manipulation uh, uh, split manipulation by Tennessee but you know Alabama from a stack standpoint you would like to see the deep player take a leverage to where the guy's gonna be right well and I think there's there's multiple ways you can use stacks and 
I think just from a basic standpoint, you know, when you get into any bunches or stacks, and if if it's not necessarily something you do all the time, right? You you do some of it, you pop in and out of it. You know, the chance on on the offensive side of the ball that you're going to have multiple variations of of what they're trying to do against you is is slim. I mean, if you're doing it all the time, they're going to game plan you up probably and and have a few options there. But typically, you know, what I would see from the defensive side is is when we got into a bunch, we're getting their bunch check. When we got into a stack, we're getting their stack check. Now, I think what varies is how wide do those guys get? Because as the split goes farther, there's things that aren't as good for the offense. I mean, if you're looking at, as an example, having those guys tighter, right? There's the ability to get them inside on a, and, and block on the run game, right? And create angles there. There's all the space they have to run to the outside. But of course, you know, on the, on the downside of that, does make it a little bit tougher in the passing game to tell who's going to come on a, a blitz. I mean, you now, because you've tightened it down, uh, have more blitz blitzers potentially coming your way. I mean, and certainly you can you can fire from a you know corner on the boundary at, at a regular split, but you know teams aren't going to make a living on it. So upside and downside, to all of those. Now, as it goes wider, I think it, it, it does start to take away things that the offense can do and so from your standpoint though where is the delineation on how you're going to treat those splits right comparing you know that tighter split like a nasty split maybe five six yards max where you do have the ability to get back inside on a run game and create angles but then have all the space to run on the outside to kind of that medium one that's now takes them a little bit out of the run game other than maybe some blocking angles like on bubble or smokes or something like that and then the max split to the sidelines and ways that you're going to handle I guess each of those scenarios yeah that's a good question so if you take the stack out of it for a second I typically talk about a hash divider rule so if you're on a college field obviously if a number two receiver is on or inside the hash, we typically want to play outside leverage no matter what we're in. So let's say we would be in palms where we're trying to get an apex player, right? Like trying to get the nickel Sam in the run fit inside of number two. If you bring it down inside the hash, on or inside the hash, we'll typically play a different coverage call there and put the apex player outside of two as the force player now. And then if the ball does try to go inside, then the safety would have the high safety that to fill it up. That typically, right? Off a cut split there. And then if two is outside the divider, right? Dividing the hash in numbers, then if we had an outside leverage call, we would move the guy inside at that point because we're expecting if the ball goes flat that we would have a, a good enough angle from inside leverage anyway. Right. So I think from that standpoint, we play those two rules. And then stacks, it would kind of be similar, right? If maybe if you brought in a tight stack and you were on or near the hash and we were in some type of split safety concept, that would probably be a, I think if, if you did that without a game, if, if we didn't game plan that and that just happened in a game for a, a team or a secondary that I coached, we would probably just go straight to cloud. If we were in any type of split safety there, they would treat it like a reduced, uh, like a, like a, almost like a nub or any type of reduction. You know, we kind of put the nubs and then all the reductions in the same box, treat that like a reduction and you would probably like cloud that. And then once it gets so wide, right, then in one high at least, you start to get, like, numbers and wider with the stack 
it really all becomes like man and there's just too much space to to say like even if you're in cover three there's just a lot of space to say you're just gonna put the force player point the stack jam one and just keep leverage on the stack and the corner's going to get high and then you're going to defend like a slant or a glance that way right so in one high it really if you're not having some type of man match to it it's going to be really difficult to, to play it and now we kind of fudged it when i was at houston again playing against kendall in practice we kind of fudged it in fire zone to where we would put the force player inside and let him take the anything low and inside and then the corner high. And then if they went one high and one out, then we would just chase it from inside out and just assume we were going to have a good, um, good way to, to get through the throwing lane from inside out. But I think in, in one high, they get out there, you really want a way to play it, how you would play man to man, whether that's, you know, you lock and level it or whether you top hat it, where the, where the guy on the point actually has the back guy. However you do that, whatever your stack rules are. But, you know, in any one high concept, I would want to be able to play it closer to a man than I would, you know, trying to zone it off when it's a wide stack like that, just because of the space to, to the next defender. You know, those throws get so easy. I mean, in theory, it's not, you know, you, you still have 400 droppers and they're going to hit their landmarks and play, but this, this throws get so easy for those quarterbacks, just the, the slant window between a, a wide stack and then the hook defender, especially if it comes off action, which a lot of Tennessee's plays did come off action. So I think that getting into a man concept there is really good. And, um, you know, if you are in too high out there, and, and this is where if you watch Alabama, they, they had some version of when they were in split safety, whether it was quarters and had some quarter, quarter, half, they, they played like uh, where they carried – and the corner bailed, the safety bailed, and they kind of viced the deep one, and they let the underneath guy take the low one. Even if it was on the wheel, he would chase it. So they had a little bit of a change up out there if they were in too high, which is good. I think, you know, you can cloud it. That's one way to do it. And then, you know, you can almost play – they almost played similar to like an invert where, where the corner would, would stay high and the safety kind of flat-footed. And I think there are some things you can change up out there to those wide stacks when you're in too high. I think you can have a, a pretty good plan for it. When you're looking at – the, the tighter stacks certainly there's there's things an offense is is going to do uh, that could make you vulnerable and things what are what are some of the toughest things you feel that you need to make sure your guys can cover even if you haven't seen it on film stuff that could hurt defending those stacks those tight stacks i think you have to use the location of the back guy as an indicator of what stack adjustment you want to play. The typical stack adjustments, right, I, there's there's really just two. If you're in, again, let's talk about it like from almost like a man perspective right now. Because I, I I'll say I, I think of them as from a man perspective because I see them mostly in the low red when we're in man or on third down. So from a man perspective, like typically you're going to play, some people call it a one call, two call, right? Where a one call would be if I'm pointing the stack, I got the, the front guy. I got the guy that I'm on. Or two call would be I'm pointing the stack, but I got the back guy. Okay. Or, you know, some people call that top hat or, or you know, there's a lot of names for it. Here. But the, what you find is if the back guy is outside of the point, he's likely to come underneath. Right, and if he's inside the point, like he's likely to go out, or 
the the point guy is going to go in first, and then the back guy is going to go vertical. So what I've mostly tried to do is decide which stack call we're going to play based on where that guy lines up. So if if he's outside and I think we're going to get some version of a drive, that's when I want to go to like a two-call or a top hat where the point guy's got the back guy, right? And then when he goes inside, that's where I think for the most part you want the point guy to take the point when he lines up inside. Because if you get drive from, you can get drive from that con, con, combination where he goes, the point guy goes under, and then the back guy goes vertical, and he's going to run right into the deep defender anyway. But I would say that when people don't have a tendency on that, then you have to play either you're going to go out there and guess or you're going to play all the stacks from the same stack adjustment. That's probably the hardest thing. You know, if you're going to run all your stack routes either perfectly stacked or you're going to run them from the same offset with the, with the deep guy, I think that's when it, it becomes, you know, difficult. You don't have a great plan maybe for it. And then obviously, if you're going to hide it off motion, you know, you bring a guy across. I think the short motion to a stack is not as effective. I think we're typically ready for that. You mean the it's outside when, in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put two on the ball. All right, here it comes. Right. That, I, I don't. I don't feel like there's been many times in my time coaching that we were like, oh man, we really screwed that up with that short motion to a stack. But if you got to cut X, and maybe you're in like three by one, and you bring that guy from the other side. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's some that those issues have shown up a little bit more where, you know, you either keep him in the motion and, and he, you know, he runs to the flat off the basically you snap it before he gets set, or you just bring him over and he gets set in one of those positions inside or outside the, the point. And you know, I think that th- that can get difficult just because too, you're, you're going to want to get the right matchups on the right guys and. You know, like I said, if you're in a zone concept, but you're kind of making your stacks play out a little bit more like man, you might end up with the, with a bad matchup over there if the nickel's not running in that case. Yeah, I think the other thing when when you do see those those tighter stacks, especially, uh, and you mentioned right, you know, playing some form of man when you get in the red zone, uh, you're probably gonna see some mesh in shoot two or three years ago might have been 2019 20 in 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 that range i i still see it a ton but not as much i mean but it seemed everybody had added mesh to their playbook right regardless of what kind of team you were and in part of that being you know rpo game a lot of teams had gone to to man as an answer so one way to beat it was the mesh but certainly you get the tight bunches and the chance to uh, you know get guys all the way across and at the same time, really stretch the defense that's now. T- yeah. I mean, in 2019, I feel like I got a PhD in mesh in the Mountain West Conference. We called it the Mountain Mesh Conference because it was everybody. And everybody had it a little different, and they all ran it really well. But the, the indicators to mesh for me are number two to passing strength, and number one away from passing strength. If you cut the space down between those two guys, no matter where the other eligible receivers are, you have a chance to get matched. So if you got a cut X or a nub tight end or anything like that, and then the slot to the field is cut, that's mesh. 
that is mesh alert for everybody. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't even matter where the other players are because I've seen it every way. It just, that is the one mainstay. The two guys that are going to cross, we're going to reduce the space between those guys. And again, they're going to hide it every way they can, right? You're going to start out in, um, in, a, in a tight stack, of FSL tight stack and like two by two with a tight end. And then the deep guy's going to motion over and he's going to be right outside the tight end. Now what just happened? Well, you had the tight stack. Now he left them. Now you got to cut X back there. And now you got to, you know, like a three by one tight ends off. And then the, the motion over guy is tight there. And now boom, now it's mesh, right? So you have to be alert and give a simple rule. I feel like that was always a simple rule for our players. Anytime that you see two strong and one weak have reduced the space between themselves, you need to be alert and mesh. And I think that, you know, and then you got to go back to teaching it as when we taught it as a, as a, as a take back side and a, well, it's a drain outside and take through side or something like that. I just go back to my notes on that specifically, but, and that's what, you know, it was a very uh, specific play and it broke a lot of rules for a lot of things, but you have to have it matched up, especially in 2019 playing in the, in the mountain mesh conference. Well, obviously mesh is a big part of the air raid offense. And one of the teams that did a great job defending the air raid this past weekend was Kentucky really limiting what Mississippi State did. Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, Kentucky plays great team football. You know, they control the football. They play great on defense. They're going to be in tight games. They're going to be in tough games. They have a lot more experience in tight games, and they're comfortable in those settings. I think that's a big part of that program. And, you know, Mark Stoops actually got to, got to be there for a year with Coach Stoops and, and that staff in, in year two. And you know, where it's come from where it was is unbelievable. And But uh, watching them Saturday evening, I thought they did some really good stuff against against the air raid, uh, you know, I've heard some of the uh, air raid people and, you know, joke before that everything is open versus cover three. Well, they got a heavy dose of cover three Saturday night and did not uh, seem to, you know, put up the points and the effectiveness that they have in the past. But specifically, Kentucky was playing a little drop eight with cover three. And I thought that they had some really just interesting uh, ways they matched some routes. And, you know, they were playing weak buzz a couple of times in drop eight where the strong side backer played his hook, the, the weak side backer played like a middle hook, and then the weak safety played the, the weak hook. But he was still a, a carry player on any of the front side over routes. And a lot of times you might look to carry three in those situations, but one time specifically uh, Mississippi State was in like a 20 personnel picture, and they sent two on the deep over. And that safety – he was down, he flashed his eyes over there, and he took that guy, wheeled him back. And then the, the great part, I thought, too, as soon as that happened, that middle hook backer, he slid out to the hook zone, to the normal hook zone, because, you know, maybe he didn't know what the depth was. Obviously, if it's a deep over, he's probably not going to get a curl coming back in. But, you know, for him, maybe it was a post, right? Maybe it wasn't, as, you know, and you could still get a curl coming back in or some kind of in-breaking route from the backside. So I thought that happened a couple of times. I just thought the way they worked together with that was – was notable. You, I, I'm watching it, and I'm like, man, that's it's pretty interesting how they're able to. You know, the safety comes down in the hook zone. He takes the deep over, flip turns with it, and now the inside backer who's in the middle hook was able to expand out to the to the hook that was vacated. Just the mechanics of that I thought were really good. 
you know, and, and combined with that, if you're going to drop eight, you've you got to be able to get some pressure with three. You can't just let them, you know, stand back there and pass the ball. So they were able – I thought where they did really good up front was getting interior press. The the nose was able to push the pocket. I think that you saw as the game went on, the quarterback was not going to escape. He was not going to run lateral and throw the ball. He was going to move a little bit in the pocket and then try to get the throw off. So, you know, the the thing about playing drop eight in that case is, if the quarterback's not going to pull the ball down, there's always going to be a lane from this game. Whether you have two great leverage rushers and a guy pushing the pocket or not, there's going to be lanes to escape with three-man rush. So you got to be really sound in your underneath coverage, kind of um, playing downhill. And, you know, same thing they would with the running back on their checkdowns and all that. They, they got to play downhill. They got to be able to vice the ball. They got to know where their tackling leverage and tackling help is. But when you realize that the guy's not going to run it, I think that you know, makes you feel a lot better about playing some drop eight. And the way they did it in, in cover three, I thought was really good because, you know, when you have a post player, sometimes there's deep overs. If it's linebackers, those deep overs can um, – um, they, they, get, they get behind the backers in front of the deep coverage, and, and it can be tough. But when you use a secondary player coming down who has vision and depth, I thought, you know, I thought it was really effective against them. When you're looking at – that kind of situation you got a quarterback who isn't necessarily a runner right he wants to throw the ball uh, he like you mentioned he's gonna have uh, some escape routes and ultimately your guys are gonna have to decide when to leave their zone and come up and make that tackle what kind of things do you like to do to prep your guys and and uh, get a feel for that you know I think a lot of that obviously comes in practice, maybe it's in, in a scramble drill. That's a, a discussion for another time. But just the ways that you you would like to prep your guys if you were using a concept like this with the drop eight, especially. The hardest one is when he comes straight back vertical. So if he tries to escape straight up the field, that that becomes difficult because it's hard to distinguish who should come get him. Uh, when he tries to break the pocket either side. You know, you could go back to your, like, sprint boot rules, and you could say, in this coverage, it's got to be this guy, and then this coverage has got to be this guy. If you use the front side, like hook player, or if you're in some kind of split safety, if you use the three dropper, then the backside guy has to close off that guy's zone. So whatever zone is vacated, the backside guy's got to close it off right now. If you use the backside player, which some people do, I think that's, probably the most common thing in like cover three is that the hook away the hook to the side of a sprint out or move the pocket is the flip turn on the over and then the hook away is the pull up on the quarterback so if you do it that way it's probably more sound it's just not as effective from a time and distance standpoint for that guy to run over there and get the quarterback so those are i think the decisions you got to make when the pocket breaks laterally so in each coverage, who do you want to try to go? And if everybody just stays in coverage, which I've done it that way too, you know, he, he's going to probably make some yards in the run game. Now he's not going to be able to throw the ball down the field. But, you know, you do, the, you do the plaster drill, and if there's somebody in your zone, you grab them. And if there's not, you go. I've been a part of that. Obviously, in the secondary, you have to be really good at that, at safety and at corner. But the underneath coverage does get a little trickier. And, you know, I'm a fan – of if the pocket breaks laterally, trying to get the front side hook player or the three dropper to go. 
and then the backside guy has to close it off. So if it's cover three or some version of one high, the backside hook player has got to got to close off that frontside hook zone. He's got to plaster it to somebody that might be in that zone. And then if you're it, the the part that becomes a little more difficult, it depends on how you play the free safety if you're in split safety defense. But that backside safety, he would become the close off in that case because there's typically not going to be a player back there. And if there is the weak side curl flat or quarter flat player is going to have, he's going to have the wheel out. He's going to have the back out. He's not going to be able to close any zone off because there's probably somebody back there and he's got to stay outside of it. So it's that backside safety that becomes like a, he's got to push into like the, the hook dig zone of the front side and when the pocket breaks. So, and he could be cleared out of there in theory. So it becomes a little hairier in split safety, but I think just defining where the pocket breaks, and who can go get it and what has to happen around that person. Again, you know, like I've talked about a lot, it all comes back to just these rotations as somebody has to make a move to do something out of the ordinary. Somebody else has got to rotate into their zone. So I think that, you know, having a plan for that is actually really important, especially, you know, if you're going to be in a three-man three man rush a lot. And then I guess, too, if you are going to be in drop eight, there's, a, there's some merit to just making that middle hole dropper the guy, right, out of drop eight. And then if you're in man, obviously, like your low hole player is probably going to be that guy. So some some of these coverages and some structures have it built in. If you're in man free, either, I would think the low hole player is the guy that's going to go get the quarterback if he breaks breaks uh, pocket laterally. And then if you're in drop eight, whoever the middle hook player is, he should probably be the guy designated for it. But, you know, I, I think that you got to come up with a plan, though, for sure. Well, looking at the three guys that you do have coming, obviously you mentioned the, the middle push being important, and I would agree is, is you know, condensing the, the the vertical space of that pocket there is an advantage for you and getting him to run laterally is is an advantage because it's starting to cut down the field I mean rarely do you see that guy you know especially if he's got a, a guy who can ear hole him if he stops you know he's not going to stop and throw back and I mean you coach quarterbacks about throwing back across anyway so it starts to uh restrict the sp- or condense the space that he has available to throw the football right is as he's running laterally so that's that's a good thing but now if you know if you got guys you know running the hoop you you got an a gap or a b gap escape as you said where that guy comes downhill shoulders square or you know even if he had to move to to his right or left a little bit to get to that b gap uh you still now have some issues so are there any things you you try to do from that rush perspective to make sure that you're just not opening those those spaces for him to get downhill and, and essentially have a three-way go with a you know a throw to either side or a run. Yeah, one one stunt that I like, uh, you know, it, it just we took at one time we took both five techniques and they would read the guard, and now the the nose he's got push the pocket and feel the guard and so so if both guards kick and they double both fives let's say both guards kick wide and they're going to double the five techniques that's great keep those guys as leverage rushers and now they're now the nose has a one-on-one right at one point in time I, I was very fortunate to coach you know probably unfortunate in the sense that I was like 30 years old and I coached the best player I probably ever coached in my life but we had Ed Oliver university of houston so what ha- what never happened was he never got singled up on the center but if that happens okay then that's great that's a, that's a that's a legitimate 
thing. You get both guards to go wide on the five techniques. Now you got one-on-one with the nose in the center. You got a chance to win. What will likely happen is they'll essentially like four-man slide it. And one of the ends will be one-on-one. And that's when we would say, all right, if the guard slides away from you, you become a two-way go, and now the nose, you're a zero-cover rush. So you've got to feel, okay, the right guard came down on me. I know my right end. He's going to counter in the B gap to take that running lane away and hopefully push the pocket, flush the quarterback to the left to where the leverage rusher is, and now I'm going to escape out. And uh, if the quarterback does try to escape back to the same side as the, as the B counter rush, then I'm going to be out there to, to pick the pocket. So that just that little read stunt. A lot of people run the X stunt. Is, I think a lot of people call it like an X stunt or, you know, out of, out of a three-man rush. A lot of people run that. But, they you know, they declare it maybe off the back or whatever. And, like, you know, there's a lot of variations to that, a lot of variables. I think they're a lot of times going to four-man slide to the best edge rusher and leave the one they don't think is good. Or, you know, you get it out of empty, too. Right, you might be in drop eight versus empty, so you don't really have a place to declare. So that's why our, our best thought was just let's read the guards. And if they both kick out wide, great, we got one on one with the center. If they both squeeze on the nose, okay, that's probably the worst case scenario for us actually, because we're gonna get have no edges and the nose might not know where to go. But at the same time, you got two guys that can counter through the B gap, maybe get a sack. So I thought that was a good stunt for us at times. Uh, I haven't probably ran it in a few years. There have been a lot of drop eight situations. I've, I've been in that, that type of front structure. But that type of read stunt to make sure you're getting the, the penetration to the open where that B gap's going to open. Because, you know, if you get the four-man slide, which I think is typical in, in three-man rushes, that B gap away from the slide is the one. Right, mm-hmm. that's the one. He's just got all the space. Yep. It'll end up, it'll end up getting the wash the nose out of the out of the center, and it almost be like the B gaps right in front of the quarterback now. Yep. Right, the, the guard will come down, knock the nose into the other A gap. Right, you'll have you'll have four offensive linemen and two defensive linemen on that side, and now you'll have this one one tackle and one end to the quarterback side there, and then this B gap that's you know the size of a Volkswagen right in front of him where he can make a throw or, or step up and run. So. I think that being able to close that is is probably uh, one of the most important things you can do to to not let him not let him feel so comfortable back there when you're bringing bringing three. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and you have it right. I mean, we're trying to turn that that picture for him into a seven on seven. Wash everything out. You got the other guy. You know, keep him in the outside, and now you can step up into what feels like you know no rush at all. Of course, you got drop eight. Which, if you're in seven on seven, is something that the offensive guys always complain about. Uh, drop eight in the seven on seven, so you're still uh, you're still at an advantage there. The windows are smaller, um, but yeah, definitely something to account for. So, moves us into the last part of this: our option tips. And you like what you saw from SMU with a, a basic four four structure, one high against Navy. Yeah, I mean, I thought they kept it simple in a good way. I mean, we like we talked about a little bit before the show, the the inability for the option teams to cut on the perimeter right now are making it hard for them to find running lanes. And if you can get good edges and restrict their the pitch lanes outside in, you can really mess up, I think, the, the spacing that they have counted on for so long to be able to pitch the ball so wide and get vertical. And now sometimes those pitches end up 
outside of the alley, outside of where they're trying to get the ball outside of the force player. So if you can get your force players down closer to the ball now, and, and maybe years ago that probably you know, a lot of people maybe wouldn't have agreed with that. And they don't, it with the rules being different, it might not have been as effective, but you know, now you get them down closer to the box and they can restrict the alleys for the pitches to go through the, 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 the slot backs to go through with the pitch. I think that, you can you see some of that being being pretty effective against them. So, you know, a couple of things you saw, but like just always remember this: right? in one high, you're gonna get four verts. You're gonna get four verts if you're playing the option and you're in one high. You're gonna get four verts. You're gonna get the true four verts, like twirl motion four verts. You know, Navy got uh, excuse me, yeah, Navy ran it out of tackle over where they motioned the guy, but then the tight end was on the backside and the front side slot both went vertical. And he tried to hit it a couple times. Uh, one time I think he got picked off, and one time they did hit it, right? So the the hardest thing in one high is handling that vert because what you're telling the, the edge guy, the outside backer is, hey, you're the force player. He arcs. You got to pull the trigger and go force the pitch. You are the force player. But one of you also has that guy vertical, right? One of those outside guys has to take him vertical, has to take one of them. So the post player can't, and maybe both of them. You might be trying to take them both vertical. And it's, uh, it's a lot easier, I guess, when he's coming from a stationary position. And then but once it's off the twirl, a lot of times you're sliding that outside guy in, then he's got to come back and grab the guy. So I just think, just know this, like, as sure as I am about anything, if you play one high, you're going to, they're going to find a way to get four verts. We got it against uh, Army two years ago playing one high where they actually, it was insert four verts where like the slot twirled, came back, and then came out through the B gap. And that was inside our overhang. I felt really good about our overhangs grabbing those guys when they felt uh, there was going to be a vertical and not a block, right? And I never ripped it, them inserting through the B gap. So that guy was wide open. Fortunately, as most option teams are not the best at completing the ball, the ball sailed over the guy's head, but you know, it was going to be one of those balls going to, running down the field with nobody there. And the post safety was going to have to make a shoestring tackle for a 40 yard gain if they would have caught it. So just know that if you're in one high, you're getting four verts and you better have a plan for it. And you know, setting these edges hard and outside in is extremely important now that there's a lot less cutting on the perimeter and they're not really allowed to do that. So I think you got to be alert for that. The other thing that showed up a lot in in that game was just uh, what I would call the horn blocks was the tackle, the big the tackle wide arcs, right? So it's always great to just rep any play you can. You know, you have a veer tackle, but then a wide arc, a horn tackle where he's going up to the alley player and trying to block that, you know, in their case, the post safety. Right. Or, or the backer scraping across if he shows up first. But really, I think he's arcing for the alley player, which was the post safety. So just any of the plays, perimeter plays, where you can see that wide tackle arc, just because it's not on the tape doesn't mean you might not get that. Um, always always have a plan for that and always always um, be looking for that in the game so you can, you can kind of figure out how to fit that thing. Because whoever that frontside alley player is, he's got to beat that tackle. So... Be, be alert for the horn blocks. One high, you will get four verts. You'll get several variations of it. Get it off twirl motion. You'll get off motion away if the tight end's over there. Right? Just be alert for that. And then good edges. Reduce the running lanes. Reduce the alley. And 
and then they won't be able to have their pitch phase and timing the way they want it. And you should be pretty good there. We'll get into a fun time of the year, Dan. These games start to take on more and more meaning as you know the picture shapes up for conference championships, college football playoffs, etc. So it's going to be a lot of fun here as we continue on with the season. And great job again in, in prepping for this week and some of the coaching tips that you shared with us here. Thanks for having me on, Keith.